Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right, we're going to do a survey, really, of a few chapters this morning, but I'm excited about this. The famous English writer G.K. Chesterton said this, Fallacies do not cease to be fallacies because they come, become fashions. Fallacies do not cease to become fall- or cease to be fallacies because they become fashions. And in Jeremiah's day, there, were, there was a fallacy that had become very fashionable. Kings, priests, prophets, everybody, they were all feeding off each other. It was an echo chamber, and they were, uh, they were listening to one another and just saying the same things. Peace, peace, all is peace in, in Jerusalem, in Judah. God is not angry with us. Everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. So if you sat and chatted with people, you know, if you went down to the, the Hebrews coffee shop down the street on Jerusalem and you were sitting and chatting with some folks there, uh, you'd hear the same thing. Or you read the Jerusalem Times, you know, you, you would feel optimistic about the way things were uh, in Judah. Even at most religious gatherings, if you went to the temple and heard the priest talking or a prophet talking, you'd hear the same message. Peace, peace. Everything's fine. God's not angry with us. Everything is good. Everything is great. But if you went down the street and you heard Jeremiah preach, you would get a completely different message. If He was that, uh, what we would call, what people would call today, the fire and brimstone preacher. Ah, I don't listen to those fire and brimstone preachers. That's, that's all they talk about. But that's what Jeremiah was, and nobody really wanted to hear that. And after over 20 years of doing that, and he, it's not like, he, again, he, he said many times as he wept before the Lord and, and cried about what he was, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Lord, you're making me do this. You're making me say this. But he had to say the truth. But after 20 years of doing that, it finally started to look like maybe Jeremiah was right. Judgment was coming. But here was the confusing part. It wasn't as devastating as Jeremiah had made it sound for those 20 years. He made it sound like it was going to be horrible. And at first, as the judgment began to happen, some things began to happen politically and in the country. It seemed that um, they weren't sure. They were confused. People were confused. Is... Is this really as bad as Jeremiah said? So let's we're gonna we're gonna take a look at that. We're gonna look at these few chapters, and we're gonna talk about how this all went down. And I think it's very important for us to kind of get the history here and understand how all this history works into this, or we're never gonna get the rest of the book of Jeremiah. This is a transitional moment in the book of Jeremiah, and it's important for us to to see the history. By the way, since we're going to talk about history, I did want to just take a personal note real quick and just say sorry to my daughter, Lindsay, for that we, she's not a history person. She says, Dad, do you have to do the history part, you know? 
And I, I try all the time to give her long, very interesting history lessons. Very interesting. But she pretends, she just falls asleep, like she, you know, immediately, like she's, a, uh, so anyway. But to be fair, in our home, she is, she is brilliant when it comes to math and English. So when she tries to explain prepositions to me and direct objects, which I don't know anything about, I pretend like I'm asleep. I do. So I don't want to hear that. I don't know. I just talk this way. All right, so if you're like her this morning, hang in there, okay? We are going to get through this history lesson real quick, but it's going to be very, very interesting, I promise, okay? We need to understand what's going on. We need to. Uh, We're not going to get what's happening next. All right, the timeline back in Jeremiah's day, when we read the book of Jeremiah, is based on the kings. Who was king at the time? And that tells us uh, the the history. So we're going to look at the last five kings of Judah to help us understand this. So follow along with me here. Josiah, of course, that was Judah's last good king. And Jeremiah, that's where he started his ministry with, uh, with good king Josiah. But after Josiah died, his son took the throne. His name was Jehoahaz. It's 609 BC. Now within three months of him becoming king, the king of Egypt, King Necho, dethroned this guy and imposed a heavy tribute on Judah And Necho made a different son of Josiah king. His name was Jehoiakim. Actually, his name was Eliakim, but the king of Egypt changed his name to Jehoiakim. 609, he reigned 609 BC to 598 BC. And during his reign, Egypt was defeated now by Babylon. So Babylon now becomes the world power, defeats Egypt. And so now there's a little bit of a different political climate. You have Judah there. And they're trying to figure out what to do now. Egypt used to be the big boys in town. Now Babylon's the big bad boy in town. And uh, what should we do as a country? Well, in 607 BC, a Babylonian army came into Judah. And, um, and then Judah became a vassal state. So they were, many were led away captive. There was a first the first deportation of people from Judah now led away to Babylon. In that first deportation, there were people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, people like that. And the best and the brightest and the most good-looking, that's what the king of Babylon wanted. Take, give me the absolute best of Judah and bring him to Babylon. So now Judah is in subservience to Babylon And some of their people, their best people are gone. Also, treasures from the temple are gone. Treasures from the king's house are gone. And the people are kind of trying to figure out now what to do. Um, On one hand, they had taken the people away, but there were still, on the other hand, there were still a lot of people left in Judah. And there was a growing sentiment in Judah that uh, that, that we should rebel. Let's rebel against Babylon. We could take them. We could take them. Uh, let's do this. I mean, the people were patriotic. Uh, you can't blame them hardly. You know, The kings, priests, and prophets were now saying, listen, this whole Babylonian thing and them being over us and you know, m- forcing us to pay tribute and all this, this is only going to last a couple years. So don't worry, folks. Uh, a couple years tops, we'll be out of this, and we just need to fight back. But once again, in the middle of this, Jeremiah had a different message. All throughout this, Jeremiah had the same message. Uh, It will get much worse. 
for anybody who fights against Babylon. So just let God do his discipline. Just give, give in to it. And um, is, this is going to last not two years like everybody's saying, but it's going to last 70 years. And just let it happen. Take your lumps and then keep, and then keep going. Just let the Lord do what he's going to do. So here's the thing. You're, you're living in this time. You're trying to sense what you ought to do and who you need to listen to. With physical eyes, it seemed like the people in the culture w- were right. I mean, they, they led some people out, but we still got a pretty good amount of people. We could fight back here. But if you had eyes of faith and you're reading or you're listening to the word of God through Jeremiah, you would be thinking something totally different. And so there really was this, uh, this clash of ideas, just like there's a clash of ideas today. And when we see things with our physical eyes, we may be tempted to go the world's way at times. But there's God's way and what God is saying. And even when it doesn't seem like it, we need to trust that. So eventually Jehoiakim rebelled. He gets enough people, they rebel. And Nebuchadnezzar now himself is angry at this rebellion. And he then himself leads the, an army from Babylon to Jerusalem, which is a long journey. He comes all the way down and he sieges the town in 598 BC. Jehoiakim is bound, he's led away in fetters, and probably thereafter later was allowed to return, but he eventually died an unhonorable death. And this was the second deportation. They led a bunch of people off and left just some of the outlying people. The next king was Jehoiachin, but he, he was the son of Jehoiakim. He was allowed to take his father's throne. Babylon or uh, Nebuchadnezzar allowed that, but he only lasted three months because this guy was a fiery son of a gun. He tried to rebel in just three months. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar was really angry then, and he quickly put that to rest with an, a huge vengeance. And now there's a much larger exile that took, takes place including Jehoiachin himself and 10,000 leaders. And I mean, really, all that was left now, the temple's gone, the, uh, the place is destroyed, Jerusalem's burnt to a crisp. It's now just some outlying farmers and some, a very few people that are left in Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar places another son of Josiah in charge, Zedekiah. Jeremiah pleads with him through this whole thing, just submit to Babylon, but he was unable to stand and he tries to make an alliance with Egypt and revolt again. And it just, again, gets worse. So this is the bat- backdrop. Uh, Babylon comes with a heavy hand. And that's how it all went down until finally just the, no, Judah was no more. And the nation of, of Judah was no more. Jeremiah, throughout all of this time, he's saying to the people uh, during these, what is he saying during these tumultuous days? Now, we have timestamps on these next few chapters in Jeremiah. And so they're not in chronological order. That's kind of frustrating sometimes when you're reading uh, these, these books, you know. But this is, again, this is a compilation of what Jeremiah uh, has said throughout his uh, 40 year ministry. But we're going to take a flying tour through these, and I want to show you kind of where they land. So here we go chapter 24. Chapter 24, God gives Jeremiah an object lesson. Now, this object lesson is given right after the second deportation. So right after the the, uh, short reign of Jehoiachin. Sorry for the fuzziness here. Uh, But Jehoiachin. Right after 
this right before Zedekiah. This is when chapter 24 takes place. And it's this message of the good figs and the bad figs. By the way, I'm going to look at some scripture here uh, when we get to 28 especially, but I'm going to fly through these next couple chapters. The good figs and the bad figs. God gives Jeremiah this vision of a basket of good figs and a basket of rotten figs. And the good figs represented the Jews who have surrendered and were peacefully taken off to Babylon. The bad figs are the ones who are stubbornly holding on to their way of life in Judah and not just giving in to God's discipline. God's point here, just surrender. Just surrender to the discipline of God. Take your lumps again and get your heart back in order with the Lord. Don't be a good fig, not a bad fig. Not a bad fig that has to be thrown away. You see the understanding. Folks, I'm, if, you, if you remain in this and keep fighting, you're like a fig that it just, I'm just going to have to throw away. Don't be like that. And so then, then in chapter 25, we see a, a prophecy that happened actually several years prior to that. This was given in the fourth year, it says, of Jehoiakim. So this was a very specific prophecy regarding the coming captivity. So a first deportation had already happened, and Jeremiah is saying a worse one is coming. And in fact, in verse 9, it says that there will be utter destruction. And now Jeremiah is finally going to let everybody know how long this is going to last. Verse 11, and I have this up here for you, 2511. And this whole land, he says, shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years, 70 years. So he goes on to say that after the 70 years, and by the way, what a merciful thing. God says 70 years is coming. This is going to happen, but no longer, no longer. And I will not allow it to take uh, any more than that. Already I have my mercy built in here. God will, after this 70 years is done, God's going to send Persia to come and punish Babylon then. And other nations, Gentile nations, are going to be punished. So no matter who you are, God does not allow the guilty to go unpunished. Also, one quick thing that this chapter 25 reminds us. God is in control of Jewish history. And God is just as much in control of Gentile history. It is his story. It truly is his story. And nothing is happening right now in America, in Russia, in China, in Ukraine, etc., etc., that God isn't fully aware of and in charge of. Things aren't, as we've heard several times, things aren't falling apart. They're falling into place in the world. So don't let anybody scare us with world events. We cannot be scared with world events. And then in chapter 26, Jeremiah goes on trial. So this one actually happens even a little more further back, right before the first deportation. Jeremiah back then was speaking another word for God about, guess what? Coming judgment. I know you couldn't have guessed that. The religious leaders have been hearing this for 20 years. They're sick of the negativity. They're sick of the fire and brimstone. And so people start calling for Jeremiah's death. We can't take it anymore. We're done with this guy. Put him to death. He's put on trial, and he's very close to being executed. But through a series of God working, of course, but through some very wise arguments 
of some people that actually were more on Jeremiah's side, these wise men, uh, he is released. And so what does Jeremiah do next? He almost loses his life. He's put on trial. What does he do next? He preaches another message from the Lord. That's right. Very good. You guys are getting to know Jeremiah very well. But this time, he does it with an object lesson. And I love this one. In, verse, in uh, chapter 27 now, it's the message of the yoke. God actually has Jeremiah put on a physical yoke on him. And it's, it's the same as you would put on an ox. It's the same theme that he's been preaching the whole time, but this is, uh, again, with something visible for people to see, and to get their attention. And again, it's don't fight it, just surrender to the yoke. Just surrender to this yoke. Don't listen to the false prophets that say we should rebel against Babylon. And amazingly, it appears that Jeremiah actually preaches this yoke message to every single king that takes the throne. And for, from this point on, think about that. How many times and how many years he had to wear this yoke? How many times God says, hey, go, you know, today's the day. Go put the yoke back on and go, go talk to these folks. And um, just continually preaching the same message, the same message. You, you think it does get exhausting, all of us uh, trying to just preach the truth. It is almost like wearing a yoke sometimes. Uh, I was thinking about this as I was preaching or as studying, though, and these days, you know, we have woke pastors, but Jeremiah was a yoke pastor, all right? So... Ultimately, this is a picture, and I want to be a yoke pastor, so ultimately this is a picture of complete surrender to God's plan. Lord, put the yoke on me. Put the yoke, your yoke on me. Now as we come to chapter 28 then, Zedekiah is now on the throne, so now we're bouncing from there all the way now to the last king of Judah. Again, I told you, this kind of bounces all over the place. And we notice now that Jeremiah is still preaching the yoke message. And it had been so long, and it had been, that message had been so ingrained in now what people knew Jeremiah was going to say, that people had had enough of his yokeness. We're, we're done with you and this little yoke message that you keep bringing up. And so there's a guy who really didn't like it. His name was Hananiah. And we're going to see now a clash between Jeremiah and Hananiah. So false prophet, Hananiah, he shows up and he publicly challenges Jeremiah on this message. And this is after many people have already been taken Babel, uh, captive and are already in Babylon. So let's, we're going to now read and see how this wild scene unfolds. Everybody, Jeremiah chapter 28, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass the same year in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet, which was of Gibeon, spake unto me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and of all the people. This is a public situation. Saying, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts. This is Hananiah now speaking. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years will I bring again 
into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. And I will bring again to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah that went into Babylon, saith the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So now you're there. You're watching this. What, you know, Jeremiah, he's wearing his yoke as normal, you know, and, uh, and, and Hananiah steps up publicly in front of everybody. Imagine the awkwardness here. And I, I have a feeling this guy, personally, Hananiah, was probably a man of influence. And people were listening. And I think that's why we have this uh, whole incident here recorded for us. He then says that God told him something. God has told me something. And this is in direct contradiction to what that guy over there with the yoke is saying. He gives an expiration date on his prediction. He says two years. In two years, all of this is going to turn around and God has removed this yoke. Well, how is Jeremiah going to respond publicly right now to this? Verse 5, Then the prophet Jeremiah said unto the prophet Hananiah, in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people that stood in the house of the Lord, even the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform thy words, which thou hast prophesied, to bring again the vessels of the Lord's house and all that is carried away captive from Babylon into this place. Now the question is, was Jeremiah agreeing? Was he saying, yes, this is a word from the Lord? No. He was not. This was a, this was one of those, Hananiah, amen. I wish you were right. I wish, I wish what you're saying right now was correct. I wish it was only two years. I wish that's how it was going to go down. But look at verse 7. Nevertheless, hear, now, hear thou now this word that I speak in thine ears and in the ears of all the people. The prophets that have been before me and before thee of old, prophesied both against many countries and against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilence. In other words, I'm not the only one saying this, Hananiah. God's word has been consistent, and it had. There had been many other prophets that have gone before saying the same things Jeremiah had said. And by the way, thank the Lord for his unchanging word. We have, we, have a word, we, have, we have a word that has not changed in all of these years, and we can stand on it no matter who's saying what. Verse 9, Jeremiah speaking, The prophet which prophesieth of peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord hath truly sent him. In other words, we can't both be right, Hananiah. We're going to see in two years which prophet is sent from the Lord? You know a prophet by what comes to pass. If a prophet puts a prediction out there, we're going to know uh, who's right. So Jeremiah leaves it like that. And I'm not sure if Hananiah was insane <laughs> or just really self-deceived to put two year, to put an expiration date on his prophecy. I mean, you know, the, the, the smart false prophets, if you want to say it that way, they don't, they don't do that. But the guys 
who I guess just are really self-deceived or truly insane or truly believe what they're, they're spouting off, they'll put a timestamp on it. Like these, quote, prophets who predicted Trump's re-election. Did you see some of those, you know, prophets of God that said he's going he's gonna to be next president? And they had, they had a situation at, at the end of that. Or these folks who predict the rapture. My son, uh, Aaron, he, we were talking recently, he reminded me of the, when he was younger, uh, there was that year, was it 2004? That the, 2012? Okay, 2012, they were predicting, you know, Jesus was coming back. And, and uh, this guy, this one guy, he had come to our church one time, and he got so hooked up on, onto this, uh, that, and so he knew us, he, we had had some conversations, and, um, and I knew that I had visited him one time at his house, but I, I didn't know he knew where I lived, but somehow he found me at my house, and one day I was out, I think we were mowing the lawn or something, he comes riding up on his bike at my house, and, and it was soon before the October date, you know, it was like an October 21st or whatever it was, and, uh, and he told me, he said, and he had signs on his bike, you know, and the whole bit. And he said, uh, you need to tell everybody that Jesus is coming back. I know he's coming back. You know, I said, listen, uh, he's not coming back on that day. <laughs> I'll just tell you that just because, you know, I know he's going to come when no one's expecting it. So, so he's not coming back on that day. We, we know the word. He just, he just started talking, 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 talking. I finally got so irritated. I, and Aaron remembers this because he was younger and he, I think, first saw his dad get a little irritated with somebody. I said, I said, listen, I'm not going to talk about this anymore to him. And I said, I just hope you have the guts to come back and talk to me the day after. And he just kept talking, talking after that. And he started riding away on his bike talking. I, I just said, come see me, come see me, come see me. And he went away angry and I went away a little perturbed myself. But it reminds me of this incident here. Hananiah and Jeremiah... Um, Jeremiah walks away. He walks away. Because look at what happens. Verse 10. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and break it. We don't know how all this went down, but it's public. Right there in the temple, he walks over to him. He grabs his yoke off of him, and he throws it down or slams it up against the wall. Who knows how he breaks it? Takes a sledgehammer to it. I don't know. And, uh, but this is pretty, pretty uh, visibly uh, uh, a clash here. Verse 11. And Hananiah spake in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. The, temp the temperature just rose, and it, it got turned up big time. And the man of God just quietly walks away without saying anything. Now let's read through these next several verses here. Then the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet. So Jeremiah goes home and the word of the Lord comes to him. After that Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off his neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him, and I have given him the beasts of the field also. 
Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Turns out it was fifth month earlier this all happened, so this is two months. So Jeremiah didn't have to scream. He didn't have to get violent. God dealt with this false prophet in God's way. But as we come to an end here, I want to think about something, and I want to make an application here. Look again at verse 13. And the word that God sent to Jeremiah to tell this lying prophet, this liar. He was a liar. He was speaking for the Lord, he said, and the Lord said nothing of the kind. Go and tell Hananiah, thus saith the Lord, thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. By encouraging the people to not yield to God's word, you have placed on them a far Worse burden. You have, you have given them a yoke of iron. I had given them a yoke of wood. By the way, they, uh, I had read about ox yokes and oxen a little bit. And in India, there was a person who was talking about what, when, they, uh, when they make a yoke, they have to be very careful how they make it because it can really cause uh, a lot of problems on the ox all kind of chafing and on, this, on the, uh, the skin of the ox and all this other, all this other kind of stuff. And really, you, you don't get very much out of the life of the ox. But if that yoke is nicely fit to the ox, and it's rounded and it's smooth and it's sanded and all that, you can have, that ox can keep going forever without any pain or any problems. And so there is, uh, God says, you know, I'm giving you a yoke, but it's, it's going to be fit for you. You need a yoke that's fit for you. But when we remove the yoke of God's word, we remove the yoke that God wants us to carry, we re- invite then a much worse yoke in our life. Christians will sometimes come to a place where they want to throw off restraint for freedom. Freedom. They, they, they're listening to Hananiah and not Jeremiah. But the thing they thought was freedom soon becomes their master. The yoke of wood that Jesus had placed on, him, on them has now been replaced with a yoke of iron. I read a sad story this week about a pastor's wife who had gotten ill. She went and visited the doctor. And the doctor told her, drink a glass of wine every day. Now, studies very clearly now show that is a very bad idea. So that may have been something from the, from the past, but that is a very bad idea. She began to drink, just like he said, and pretty soon she got hooked so hard. And she began to push away her, the, what she knew was right in the word. And soon alcohol became an iron yoke in her life. She started, I mean, literally got so bad, she was bar hopping, and it completely destroyed their marriage, this pastor and his wife. I think all of us need to be careful about who's trying to convince us that there is freedom in disobeying Scripture. There's freedom in walking away from the yoke God has 
want us to bear. Jesus said, as, and you know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Everyone has a yoke. We just need to make sure it's a Jesus yoke. There's so many things God has given to us in this word, but I wanted us to remember this as we head on into the next chapter. Jeremiah chapter 29, we're gonna look at that next week. Jeremiah chapter 29 is one of the most precious chapters in all of the Bible. And I, and I didn't wanna just try to shove it here in the, the last part of this lesson. I want it to be something we talk about next week. So let's pray and we're gonna ask the Lord to help us. Oh Lord. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.